So welcome to the first Sunday of Lent. This Lent is a series of 40 days that lead up to our celebration of Easter, which is the central point of uh, the calendar for the followers of Jesus, because it's a time where people around the world celebrate Jesus's victory over evil, exclusion, uh, selfishness, everything. Jesus's victory over evil by taking all the evil had to offer to the point of torture and murder, receiving all those things, dying on the cross, but coming back three days later saying, is that all you got? Essentially, Jesus took all the evil in the world on himself and came back, which began the process of death losing its sting, that death does not have the last word. Death is awful, but that there's new life. There's life after, life after death. And uh, this is something I'm really, uh, I need to be continually focusing on. Uh, many of you know, uh, in addition to my uh, father passing away uh, recently, which uh, I'm kind of going in and out of experiencing that actually being real. Um, some days it seems real, some days it's not. But then uh, earlier at the beginning of this week, my grandfather uh, died as well. My grandpa, Nick, uh, many of you have known him. I've posted videos of him on Facebook. He made it 101 years, had quite a run, and was able to... Uh, Pass on to be with Jesus alongside uh, one of my cousins was with him at the Kobacher house. And those guys at the Kobacher house are amazing. But he actually lived independently for the most part. You know, he uh, was at home causing trouble all the way up till a couple of days when he had a stroke. And he uh, taught me a lot about the kingdom of God. Um, he taught me a lot about what it means to be generous, what it means to share, and what it means to have a passion for what God is doing on the global stage. So I'm really honored to be able to kind of lead some kind of memorial service for him coming up. We don't know exactly how that's going to look uh, with safety stuff and everything, but we're figuring it out. So it is the beginning of Lent. This is the first Sunday, and we have a specific series that we're engaging called Revitalize. Uh, the series Revitalize, uh, the idea is that Lent is the time before we have the full bloom of Easter, that there's plantings coming up, that this whole uh, last 2020 time of pandemic has been a time where the soil's been turned over, it's been dug up, and there's been seeds kind of pushed down in the soil, but now's the time to reap some of the fruit of what has seemed to be a very barren and difficult time. Uh, so this idea that we now are beginning this journey together where we're not living under the oppression of uncertainty. We're really pushing forward into the idea that the victory of God will one day culminate in the return of Christ where he sets the world to rights. And we live in that already and not yet in between time, but we're committed to being a people that lives the future now. We're going to live according to the love that rules in the future, we're gonna follow those rules now. Whether or not they sync up with society's roles or sometimes even the government's roles. You know, if there's some way that, uh, you know, that we, uh, there's followers of Christ have done that for years where they uh, follow Jesus, uh, serve their cities, serve their communities. And uh, this 40 days of Lent, we're working to focus on several themes. 
four themes, and we're actually going to be repeating these four themes uh, through Lent and after Lent, because I really think these four themes are kind of uh, helping to set our operating system going forward. And the first theme is story saturation. We're going to talk just a little bit about the theme of story saturation or story saturating today. And the idea is to follow Jesus isn't to embrace a rule book. To follow Jesus is to essentially become a method actor and to get to know the story so well that we can improvise aspects of the story in our own lives. That we read the entirety of scriptures, not Old and New Testament, but from Jesus to the Old and Jesus to the New, a gospel-centric reading where everything starts with Jesus. And we saturate in that story, soak in that story, story soaking. Our next theme we're going to be focusing on is acceptance and intimacy. One of the greatest barriers for us expressing God's love to people is to not living as people who are loved. It's really hard to care for others in a really impactful way if you feel worthless and incompetent. And there's a sense where we need to, as we soak in the story, we spend time with a God who loves us. And depending on issues with our uh, our life, uh, trauma we've been through, maybe your early childhood development, first formation, there's a lot of uh, barriers between us actually moving beyond believing we are loved up here to believing we're here in such a way that works out into our lives. So uh, story saturating, acceptance and intimacy. And the third is that we are empowered to love everyone, enemies included. One kind of theme that God's really been challenging me with this year, I believe, is that the quality of my faith is the love for my enemy that the quality of my faith is my love for my enemy. And uh, a lot of times I would be kind of hypercritical of people that said they had enemies. I said, oh, come on, you don't really have an enemy. But realizing right now in our culture, no matter who you are, people in our country view someone else as the enemy. And who knows, we may have some people gathered online today that think the enemy is the other person tuning in or something. But this idea that uh, most people believe that... Uh, People have been, uh, groups and organized groups of people have engaged in policies that have caused tremendous suffering. And many of us have suffered because individuals have hurt us or some of the worst kind of uh, enemies are those that hurt the ones we love. Those who cause pain or inflict suffering on people we love. And so we are going to be entering discussions. What does us, what does it mean for us to be countercultural by not identifying with one group of angry people or another group of angry people, but we're identifying the people that love passionately both angry groups of people. What does it mean to love people? And just to keep in mind, love, we're saying loving enemies. And part of that is shorthand the same. We're, to love someone is not to justify their behavior. In fact, the, the success is to love someone despite their behavior. So four themes, story saturating, acceptance and intimacy, empowered to love anyone, everyone, enemies included, and finally, empathy and action. You know, our mission statement uh, culminates in gathering a community of prayer that engages suffering. And as a church, we've uh, been very involved in engaging specific areas of poverty, both locally and globally, uh, 
And I feel like God's calling us to articulate part of what it is to engage suffering and th- the specific suffering of injustice. Uh, it's very easy for us to point out the all the injustices of other regimes around the world. I mean, there's some, take your pick, uh, uh, China, you know, the persecution of the believers in Hong Kong and or we'll uh, talk about or the Uyghur people in concentration camps, or we can talk about North Korea, or we can talk about a warlord of the week. Uh, you pick the place. But what does it mean for us to speak out against injustice in our own backyard? What does it mean for us in a nonpartisan, non-pundit way to speak truth and power and to specifically engage suffering by being in the corner of those who backs whose backs are against the wall, and uh, this may be controversial to you. Uh, it might have been controversial to me a, a decade or two ago. But I truly believe uh, that, specifically with uh, policies and uh, the way the police unions work and everything else, that we have a system in Columbus that is skewed against uh, people of color, specifically African-Americans. So we have a system in Columbus that is skewed against people of color, specific African-Americans. Um, we have a system that is by design right now not able to hold people appropriately accountable. We've seen that in the murder of Casey Goodson, uh, the murder of Andre Hill, where we even had uh, uh, a legion of officers there, none of which offered critical medical help that might have saved his life. And uh, it's easy to demonize specific individuals. And there are some people, specific individuals that I su- suspect probably do have some demonic influence over their lives. But we have a system that enables it in our backyard. I, Jeff Cannell, am a shareholder in the city of Columbus in the state of Ohio, I'm a shareholder in the United States of America. I believe I'm a shareholder for some of the illegal actions our government took in Vietnam that uh, actually our government while in Vietnam took illegal actions in Cambodia that paved the way for the Khmer Rouge to take over. And I see that every time I go over to Cambodia, but I also believe I'm a shareholder in the systems in Columbus. And so leading us as a church, to what does it mean to speak in, uh, express solidarity with those who are on the receiving end of injustice with empathy and action? Myself and many of you were really good at expressing our outrage in opinions on social media and in conversation. I believe what really God wants to do among us is go far beyond that to the point of maybe even we're engaging on social media less on these issues and more interpersonally in the area of developing an emotional connection through empathy of what's going on, uh, growing in empathy and activity. And we're going to, during this Lent season, have an opportunity to brainstorm ways and come to agreements on how we as a church body can do that. Both gathered in Columbus and our friends who are scattered around the country or other places. So Lent 
Back to Lent, 40 days, traditionally you give something up to make room for incorporating something else. People do chocolate, meat, only have fish on Fridays. But the goal is that making space isn't just causing yourself to be miserable. It's making room and putting reminders and triggers towards prayer in your life. And also, uh, traditionally, Lent is a time where we set goals for being present to those in need and helping to meet the need of others. And specifically, I think uh, this uh, growing and engaging suffering through empathy and action is going to really move the ball forward. So those four themes, again, of our revitalization journey at Central Vineyard are story saturation, acceptance and intimacy, empowered to love everyone, enemies included, and empathy and action. So just a few words about story soaking or story saturation. And uh, I, uh, in my attempts of following Jesus, I'd say in the late eight, late 80s, actually, I was in high school. I used to think, wouldn't it be great if I could read through the entirety of the New Testament and distill everything I'm supposed to do and not do and just simplify a list of do's and don'ts. Now, in high school, your the hemispheres of your brain are still connecting and as developing humans, we still tend to think in black and white. And we know that as the adult brain forms, we're able to engage paradox in the grays of the world and uh, utilize the hashtags like it's complicated. But uh, in, uh, sometimes in our faith tradition, there's a pressure to always think rigidly in black and white roles towards faith. So essentially, uh, engaging our faith in an immature fashion. And the thing is, if you look for the rule book, then you find all these contradictions in scripture because it seems like there's contradicting rules. And once you see that, then you get caught up in the debate over which reading of the rule is right. In all the meantime, that just makes you a grump or arrogant or foolish or all of the above, an arrogant, foolish grump. But during that whole time, we're missing this story of Jesus. We're missing this uh, Old Testament that has this gigantic Jesus-shaped void. There, in, in the Old Testament, there's inklings of mercy. There's so many poems and prophecies that lean towards this messianic figure. And then Jesus fills in that hazy outline. God steps out of the shadows in Jesus. And we read the entirety of the Bible, all the books after the Gospels and all the books before the Gospels, we read Jesus out. We drop, Jesus the rock drops into the pool and the rings go outward and we read through the lens of the Gospels. So when we saturate ourselves in the story, when we soak in stories, I'm specifically talking about it always starts with Jesus. And... Uh, Re, it's almost the need to restory ourselves. I've been reading the Gospels. I cannot even count how many times I've read the Gospels. I've read them. And in fact, I've uh, spent several months. I think I spent six months where I listened to a Gospel on double speed because ADD kicks in. I need to hear people talk fast. I listened to a Gospel every day for six months using the YouVersion app on my smartphone. And there was something new. 
every time. Now, I didn't try to super concentrate. I would get distracted. I would zone out. You know, whatever's worth doing is worth doing poorly. But I would just wash in it. This idea, I want, wish I could recover my childhood mind that remembered every line and every scene of Star Wars, watching it over and over and over again. I, what I wish I had that spongy mind that I could just even retain more of it. But I found because my memory isn't what it used to be, all the more reason to always be listening to the Gospels. And uh, that soaking in the story is going to prepare us to be on a journey. Because frankly, uh, we need to be able to improvise the life of Christ in our own life. We're living... 2,000 years later, in a radically different culture with some similar circumstances. But we live in a country where so many things are tied to rules that are identified with our faith that lead to people who say they represent or speak for our faith who are basically really super unkind, uh, uh, abrasive, hurtful, uncompassionate people. Uh, we see, I mean, uh, looking at the, uh, saw several people wearing crosses, et cetera, who were stormy in the Capitol screaming and uh, wanting certain uh, elected officials to suffer. Uh, they missed the story. I think these people that think that uh, their violence or their uh, loyalty to country that goes to the extent that anyone you think is against our country, whoever that may be, you hate them. Well, that's a symptom of missing out on the story. And I'm saying like a, a lot of, if a lot of us, it's easy to look at these people, whoever these people, whatever the group that are those people in our lives and look down on them instead of Look, and once again, going toward Jesus, like Jesus looked over Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, you had people, far left wingers, far right wingers. You had a, uh, the in the middle people just trying to survive. And Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he wept. He cried when he saw those people and he said, look at those idiot Pharisees. What about those Sadducees? Why are the scenes out there hiding? What about all the, oh, Jesus just looked at Jerusalem. He had empathy. He saw them as suffering. He wept and he said, I wish I could be just like a mama chicken and take you all under my wings. He had a maternal feeling. Talk about tough dude, carpenter, stonemason Jesus is like crying and saying, I wish I was a mother hen. I uh, <laughs> take that toxic masculinity. There's Jesus. I mean, you can be a stonemason and you can endure the greatest tortures and you can want to be like a mama chicky. How's that, mama hen? I read a story like that. So I get storied as I'm reading the gospels, that comes up and then I think, what does it mean for me to look at Capitol footage? Or what does it uh, mean for me uh, to look at the streets of Portland and the streets of uh, Milwaukee and the streets of wherever and feel like Jesus, like weeping instead of hating. Uh, I've been thinking of, of the man with leprosy. Uh, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Was it uh, Matthew 8? It says this, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. This is after he gave his Jesus manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount. 
And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show Mo, go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is a very short passage. I've, I mean, I've been living with this passage probably since 1979, and I still can't get over it. There are times where I was made numb to this passage. There's times where uh, I had calluses over my heart and this passage didn't move me. There's been several times. But I'm in a place right now where I still feel like my heart is raw every time I encounter this passage. And this idea that I, I'm someone who's very easily grossed out, and some of you think with my bathroom humor that doesn't make sense, but it's true. Um, I have a very sensitive sense of smell. I have actually done certain things where I've helped clean houses where certain things have happened, and I've had I've periodically just run out and secretly throw up. I'm very weak stomach. I think this idea of a person with leprosy, the skin disease where they didn't have the bathroom amenities we have, where he was legally unclean, uh, the leper was required to make noise so people knew to stay far away. And Jesus, who uh, right after this story heals someone without even going near them, he heals, he does a long distance heal, but with the leper, says he reaches out and touches him. And talk about solidarity with the suffering. And this, just meditating on this story, just composing the movie in my head, uh, thinking what it means to act it out and asking God, until my journey in life is to become more that Jesus in that story. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, let me have a mystical encounter with this story, an experience of this story it's not enough to just know what the story says. We've got to feel the story. It goes to the head, to the heart, to our hands. And this does not happen unless A, there is a God, and B, he's doing business with us through his Holy Spirit. We need to restory ourselves, and the Spirit wants to jump right in there and rewrite our spirits. And I think of this. Uh, there was nothing more deplorable than a leper in the ancient Near East. And there are so many forms of, whether we consider people political lepers, uh, interpersonal lepers, or people that are sick or addicted, everyone's got a group of people they're biased against. And our, the end-all be-all of our spiritual journey, there's a lot of end-all be-alls, but can we reach out and be the healing hands to those people? So in Lent, I want to encourage you guys is download that Bible app. Let's start storing ourselves on Jesus. If give, if you binge watch a show, binge, binge a gospel for a bit. By the way, uh, if you want to really be able to imagine what Israel and the ancient Near East is like, I, uh, I had some help doing that just through studying history for 30 some years, but also I, I got to hitchhike 
and camp around Israel for quite some time and uh, even was camping with Bedouin shepherds while going through the Judean desert outside the Wadi Kelt by Jericho. And so I can imagine certain parts of Israel pretty clearly. But as far as the political context and the social context, when I watched the show, The Chosen, it's an app you download for your iPhone or on your TV or Apple TV. It's an app called The Chosen app. It kind of uh, is just telling the context of the stories of Jesus in such an engaging way. And normally I expect any kind of media like that to be cheesy. And this thing rocked my soul. I encourage you to put off your little cynical, critical hat. Download and watch the first four episodes of The Chosen. Prove me wrong. And then go to the Gospels and have that show, that work of art, assist you as kind of an icon to touch base with who Jesus is to restory ourselves. This uh, this story saturation, you know, if you guys can engage in it this week and think, uh, here's your question when you're story saturating. If this is true, what does it say about God's love to me, Jeff, or to me, Mary, or to me, Adrian? What does this, if this story really happened is really true, what are what does it say about God's love for me. And next week, we're going to talk about acceptance and intimacy and what it means to embrace the paradigm of the beloved. So I'm so excited to connect with you. So I want to read one last passage, and I'm going to give you a through the lens of Jesus spin on it. It's Joshua 1, 7 through 9. Joshua uh, was kind of Moses's successor and this is God's word to him. It said, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So I've been talking about a story and I read this passage about the law. First off, the law is the Torah. Most of the Torah is narrative. There's something more here than just the rules in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and a little bit of Exodus. There's something more. In Jeremiah and several of the other prophets, it said, it prophesied this. It said, this is the covenant, Jeremiah 31, 33, that I will make with the house of Israel. After these days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then Hebrews directly quotes it. It's indicated, uh, explicitly and implicitly all over the New Testament, what is written on our hearts. The law wasn't the book of Deuteronomy or Leviticus. What is written on our hearts is Jesus. The law is Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 4, 5, and 6 shows us what does the Old Testament law look like through a Jesus paradigm. It shows us the interpretive grid. He often uses this formulation. You have said it this way, but I say, Jesus shows you what it looks like when Jesus enters the room of our life. 
the law, our law is a story. Well, what should I do? Well, I got an idea. Let's read Gospel Mark and have a conversation about it tomorrow. Gospel Mark, it's a short one. So our laws, are, the Old Testament has a Jesus-shaped vacuum. It has a Jesus outline, a Jesus-shaped shadow, and then the Gospels give it to us. And I think right now we are living in a nation that may have a Jesus-shaped ja shadow, but not a clear Jesus. And so let's just be the people that embrace the clarity through story soaking and doing this stuff. Lord Jesus, I just ask you to bless us all and give us the strength to do this.